Welcome back to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham. We have Mary Beth Finster and Julie Musselman here in the studio with us today. We are going through the preparation for consecration, 33 days to morning glory with Father Michael Gately. I want to say kudos to everybody who is still with us here on day 17. It's hard sometimes to make that 33-day commitment to to and to follow through on it, to follow through on that 33 days commitment. We're so proud of you for sticking it out. If you've had a hard time or you know somebody else who's had a hard time, the purpose of these podcasts is to make that easier for you. Share these with your friends and family. Invite them to complete this consecration with you. We're going to get now into into day 17 on page 73 of the book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. It's entitled The Visions of 1947. So several months after Mother Teresa first felt her call within a call, she experienced three visions that further expressed her calling. In the first vision, she saw a huge crowd of all kinds of people that included the very poor and children. The people in the crowd had their hands raised toward her and were calling out, Come, come save us, bring us to Jesus. In the second vision, the same great crowd was there, and this time Mother Teresa could see the immense sorrow and suffering in their faces. She was kneeling near Our Lady, who was facing the crowd. Although she couldn't see Mary's face, she could hear what she said. Take care of them. They are mine. Bring them to Jesus. Carry Jesus to them. Fear not. In the third vision, the same great crowd was there again, but they were covered in darkness. Despite this, Mother Teresa could see them. Within the scene, Jesus hung on the cross, and Our Lady was a little distance away. Teresa herself was there as a little child, just in front of Mary. Mary's left hand rested on Teresa's left shoulder, and her right hand held Teresa's right arm. Both of them were facing the cross, and Jesus spoke to Teresa. This is what Mother Teresa heard him say. I have asked you, they have asked you, and she, my mother, has asked you, will you refuse to do this for me, to take care of them? To bring them to me? That's pretty heavy. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a vision. I agree. (laughs) (gasps) Wow, what a responsibility. Here, the, the book goes on to read. Notice the role of Our Lady in these visions. She is there helping Teresa to hear the desire of the Lord's heart and to see the suffering of the crowd. She is there as a mother with her little child, facing Jesus and the crowd together. She gives comfort and support to Teresa, just as she did to St. John at the foot of the cross. Father Joseph Langford, co-founder of the Missionaries of Charity Fathers, reflects on the meaning of these visions. Without Our Lady, we would be alone before the crosses of life, oblivious to Jesus in our midst. In times of trial, we are often like the poor in Mother Teresa's vision, covered in darkness, unaware that Jesus is there in the midst of us. Without the fidelity Our Lady gave to Mother Teresa, the world would not have heard these words, I thirst, or seen them lived out today. It turns out that Our Lady was specially present to Mother Teresa, not only in these visions, but also during the original September 10th grace. On the 50th anniversary of that blessed day, Mother shared something new. If Our Lady had not been with me that day, I would have never known what Jesus meant when he said, I thirst. What was Teresa getting at? 
What she meant comes to light when we reflect again on the Marian dimension of the March 25th letter on I Thirst. From that letter, she wrote, Our Lady was the first person to hear Jesus cry, I thirst, with St. John, and I am sure Mary Magdalene. Because Our Lady was there on Calvary, she knows how real, how deep is his longing for you and for the poor. Do we know? Do we feel as she? Ask her to teach. Her role is to bring you face to face as John and Magdalene with the love in the heart of Jesus crucified. Before it was Our Lady pleading with Mother, now it is Mother in her name pleading with you. Listen to Jesus' thirst. Listen to Jesus' thirst. This passage gets to the heart of Mother Teresa's relationship with Mary, and nothing summarizes it better than that golden line, Our Lady's role is to bring you face to face with the love in the heart of Jesus crucified. Today our prayer will be, Come, Holy Spirit, living in Mary, bring me face to face in the love of the heart of Jesus crucified. Very moving, very moving readings that we have here these last couple of days as we get deeper into Mother Teresa. And I think like Father Gately said in his DVD series, because she lived in our time, it makes it so much more tangible. And Mary, I don't so much even more relatable. And Mary, I don't even think I would ever know about this letter if it weren't for Father Michael Gately's book. To the depth right. of reading it like this, she really mm-hmm. reveals herself in this. I, I find she's not only reflecting on the words of John Paul II in his Lenten letter from 1993. In, in yesterday's day 16, but today we're, we're quoting again from Mother's letter as she wrote it, March 25th, 1993, and is explaining to her own sisters, her own Missionary of Charity family, the things that have been going on in her life for the very first time, that she received this tremendous call, and how was she able to answer it? Only because she felt Mary's arm around her. I love that image of Mary's left hand being around the left arm of Mother Teresa at the foot of the cross. And how many of us as mothers have put our arms around our kids like that and have held their hand and and taken them to the things that are hard for them to do and stood with them? And that's Our Lady's role. If, If anyone is having any trouble with what we're reading and consecrating to Jesus through Mary, I think that little bite really, really gives us something to chew on as to why this all makes sense. Mary is there supporting us, with us, pointing us to Jesus. And how important hand position is. I mean, when we read about St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy image, how specific Jesus was with the position of his hands. And oftentimes when you, you, you look at art, position of hands is so important when the artist has d- done that image. I have to throw in a little disclaimer here. Julie was talking, you know, kind of created, painted a picture of us guiding our children and encouraging our children. Sometimes when I've done that, maybe I didn't have the the humblest and the gentlest spirit about me. Our Lady will always be humble and gentle. You, you weren't acting like Our Lady? <laughs> Not all the time. Sometimes I blow it. Oh, we all blow it so many times, and we can go on either way. You know, we can be too pushy with our children, pushing them right. too far. We cannot be there enough to comfort them and guide them. You know, there's plenty of ways we, we fail, that's for sure. But I think as long as we continue... Um, wanting to be there with them and using Our Lady as our guide and our mentor, then we can really do well with our own children. 
And that line in page 73 where she said, notice the role of Our Lady in these visions. She wants us to stop and look at the position, and she says she's there helping Teresa. I, I just think about sometimes when the kids, like, go between parents when they want to get something, and, you know, oftentimes uh-huh. the father may say no, so they come to mother. Actually, it's reversed mm-hmm. in my house. I'm always the one saying no, and they go to my husband, Mike, and they try to, you know, and, and the position of the other parent, convincing the other one, oh, it's okay that they have that ice cream cone right now. (laughs) It is time to wrap up uh, this section of our show for today. You are listening to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. Real Life Radio is a listener-supported radio station. That means we need your help to keep this radio station on the air. Visit our Care to Share page at realliferadio.com. That's Care to Share at realliferadio.com, or simply make a pledge right here on the podcast site. It's quick and easy. I also want to remind you, if you don't have your retreat material, you can get it at 33daystomorningglory.com. That's 33daystomorningglory.com. We are over the halfway mark with our consecration preparation here on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. When we complete this, we will get back to our regular programming, which is all about the stories. We love to hear people's stories. And yes, you too have a story. I would love to hear it. Email Mary at cultureoflifemedia.com. That's Mary at cultureoflifemedia.com. We're going to listen to some music from Danielle Rose from her CD, I Third. It's a CD about Mother Teresa. Beautiful music. You can find her online at danielrose.com.
Welcome back to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham. We are tackling these questions as we continue this 33-day retreat, 33 days to morning glory with Father Michael Gately, as we prepare our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to consecrate our lives to our Lord through the Immaculate Heart of His Mother Mary. We're going to start now with question number one on day 17, and it is page 75 of the Retreat Companion. It says here to reread Mother Teresa's vision, which is on pages 73 to 74 in the 33 Days to Morning Glory book. Pay attention to Mary's appearance and actions in the visions. With Mary's help, what does Teresa see? What does she hear? How does Mother comfort her? And how does she support her? Is there significance to Mary holding Teresa's right arm? Let's just review those visions very quickly. In the first vision, she saw the huge crowd of all kinds of people that included the poor and children. The people in the crowd had their hands raised toward her and were calling out, Come, come save us, bring us to Jesus. In the second vision, the same crowd was there, and this time Mother Teresa could see their sorrow and the suffering in their faces. She was kneeling near Our Lady, who was facing the crowd. Although she couldn't see Mary's face, she could hear what Mary said, Take care of them. They are mine. Bring them to Jesus. Carry them to Jesus. Fear not. And in the third vision, the same great crowd was there again, but they were covered in darkness. And despite this, Teresa could see them. Within the scene, Jesus hung on the cross, and Our Lady was a little distance away. Teresa, in the scene, was a little child, and just in front of Mary, and Mary's left hand rested on Teresa's left shoulder, and her right hand held Teresa's arm. Both of them were facing the cross, and Jesus spoke to Teresa, I have asked you that they have asked you, and she, my mother, has asked you, will you refuse to do this for me, to take care of them, to bring me, to bring them to me? And when I look at that question, what are the two things that strike out as a mother is comfort and holding. When when a small child, I know Father Gately told us this story when he was visiting his sister and his two-year-old niece had fallen and started to cry. The, the cry didn't come out yet till she saw her mother. Mm-hmm. And then as she saw her mother, it all came out and she <laughs> ran to her and, you know, fell in the arms. I mean, that's so significant. And, and I also think about times when we're with someone that may be going through the death of someone or something very difficult or found out bad news, and and we often don't have the right words. People sometimes don't know what to say and do, and oftentimes you don't have to say anything. You you just do by just holding that person and embracing them, and I know that that is such a a wonderful thing to take from this this question is that what to do when people are going through something difficult, just being there to embrace them and hold them and let them feel your hand, let them feel that hug. Mary Beth, I'm glad you mentioned the the story of Father Michael Gately and, and the niece holding back until she saw her mother. I think that's something every single one of us can relate to at some point in our life, feeling so distraught. And Finally, when you see your mom, you can let those feelings go and just let the tears flow. And I get to see it every day with a four-year-old. I mean, I really, I do. And that's the beauty of having a small child at an advanced age is that I still remember and get to see these daily things because he does, uh, you know, his his cries. He waits to see where I am before he lets it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as precious as those cries are from the four-year-old, our teenagers have those same cries, but they're masked. Don't 
see those little yes. hands and that little face with tears so much. Sometimes we see a cold teenager or a rude teenager or a distant teenager, and yet those are they're experiencing the same feelings. They're just not able to run to us in the same way. And one thing we've really tried to do in our family, especially with our kids as they become teenagers, is we tell them every day we love them. We touch them. You know, we, we bless them on the head mm-hmm. or rub their back or there's some kind of physical touch with them because they do need that. Even though they're six foot four and the football players, <laughs> tough guys, they need to know mm-hmm. they're still our kids. And certainly, I know Scott Hahn has talked about just lathering them with holy water. Um, I have like little divine mercy image cards under their bedding. It can't <laughs> hurt. None of it can hurt. And <laughs> Scott Hahn talks about when at nighttime, just, you know, blessing them with holy water and spraying it all over their room. And I don't go crazy, but I do, I I do have a bottle in each one of their rooms. Um, and it, it's, it's nice. Let's move on to question number two. Why does Mary say, fear not to Mother Teresa? Would this simple two-word sentence be comforting to you coming from Mary? Why or why not? What would she say to you to allay your fears? Well, what's interesting is that, once again, Mary is doing exactly what Scripture says and our Lord says. How often do not be afraid is in the Bible. Is, is that 365 times? So. One for every day of the year. And how John Paul II talked about that as his main thing in his initial pontificate. The day uh, he was elected, he came yes. out and said, be not afraid. One of the things, though, there is something to be afraid of. I mean, you wouldn't say fear not or be not afraid if there wasn't something fearful out there. And the tremendous visions that Mother Teresa was granted during 1947 are scary. I mean, to see little children suffering and people crying out to you and and asking them to help you, that would be incredible to try to wrap your hands around and what am I actually being called to do? And I think the part that we're to reflect on here is that Mary then steps in where Jesus is calling Mother Teresa and lets her know, I'll be with you. Jesus will give you the grace. You don't do this on your on your own. You're walking forward in Christ. And how often fear is paralyzing. Um, and the devil loves anxiety. He loves us to be caught and bound up. And, and fear oftentimes in my life has stopped me from doing what God wants me to do. And once I get, can get past that through, like the consecration has been huge to allow me to give up some of these fears and realize that, you know, with the armor of God, with the protection that we receive in the sacraments and certainly our medals that we wear and, and uh, prayers that we pray, they do truly give us a peace that in the midst of suffering and joy that we do have that protection. I'd like to say also that um, some people have extreme fears and anxiety, and, and that is really something you need to work through and, and possibly get help for. But I think that if you start with your prayer life and really turning that over to our Lord and begging Him for the grace to address those fears and to help you move through them, because, and, and this is a great little acronym that I've heard Jeanette Bankovic use, Uh, if you think of it as false evidence appearing real. 
generally the things we're afraid of are things in the future, things that might happen that may or may not ever happen. And so we exert this energy and this time worrying about them, and, and many of them are in the future or, or things that may or may not happen. And so when we look at that little acronym, false evidence appearing real, if we go to what is real, what is true, who is true, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, I think that to me has been a tremendous blessing in my life of moving forward when I feel that uncomfortable feeling and I just don't know that I can go there or I don't want to get yelled at or I don't want to appear odd or whatever that fear is for me, then I can say, okay, I'm going to set those aside and keep moving through. Lord, please give me the grace. Our Lady, please wrap your mantle around me. And Julie, can I be practical? I, I would so many kids, I can't, I can't even begin to worry. I don't have the energy to think that far ahead. It's just like that, that day, their needs, and, and sometimes they come to me with things that they're all worried about. I go, honestly, I, I just, I can't even do it. I'm on <laughs> Tuesday. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't move to Friday yet. I cannot worry about that. <laughs> Julie, you brought up a good point when you mentioned that we have things sometimes we need to deal with. A lot of people immediately think, oh, I need to go to therapy. But there's a great free alternative to therapy, and that's called the confessional. Mm -hmm. And if it means you need to be in that confessional every single week, that's okay. Father's happy to see you. Go in there. If you have to, re if you have to repent every single week until you clear your heart and your soul of these things that are weighing you down, it's, it's worth it. Do it. It's free. Another great gift is spiritual direction. That wasn't something I was in tune to and I wasn't ready for it at certain parts of my spiritual journey. But after uh, several years of just studying and studying um, and just praying and my, my prayer life growing, I um, was able to connect with um, our, our priest at our parish. And I was actually his first person. He was just newly ordained and he ended up going through the spiritual direction program. But spiritual direction is, is a wonderful way to grow in your faith and receive. You know, he, he helps me so much with um, dealing with anxieties and things that I, I just don't give to God. I try to take on myself, and, and uh, it's a beautiful combination. And I love, Mary, what you said. You know, confession is free, and, and these priests yes. <laughs> are such gifts. We need to pray for them. Yes, they are. Especially if you got the blessing of having someone young and just out of the seminary. They're on fire and they're ready to make things happen. They're great. It is time to take a break. We'll be back with questions three and four from our retreat companion on our 33 Days to Morning Glory retreat on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses.
Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, and we are continuing on this retreat, on this journey as we work our way to holiness. That's everybody's goal. Father Michael Gately is definitely making it easy for us to attain that. With 33 Days to Morning Glory, it is a consecration preparation to consecrate our hearts to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Question number three on page 76 of the Retreat Companion. Mary says the crowd that Mother Teresa belongs to, Mary says, Mary says the crowd that Mother Teresa sees belongs to her. They are mine. Bring them to Jesus. What does this tell us about Mary's view of us? What does it tell us about how Mary sees what belongs to her? Does this change how you look at what belongs to you or what you do with your belongings? Well, this is really a great question because even though I've read this many times, when I see it in this question posed that way, Mother Teresa sees Mary and Mary is saying to her, they are mine, they belong to me. That really, I think, hits the nail on the head as to why Father Gately included Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta in this book with, as one of the four great Marian saints. I think that's really the heart of Marian consecration. Jesus comes to the earth through Mary. He asks us to come back to him through Mary. And so Mary is our spiritual mother. We belong to her, and she's going to help us. And, and I just love that image, knowing that she is there to get us home, so to speak. And even our own children, they're not really ours. They're entrusted to us. And when we can understand the relationship of Mary as our mother, that we are entrusted to her care, that she wants all of us. She looks at us as children, as little children, little, little children, Father Gately will say, little, 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 little children. Um, it's, I know it's hard to wrap your arms around, and sometimes it takes years and years of meditating because we are so um, in tune to the physical images of our mothers or just the motherly um, definition, and it's hard when sometimes you don't visually see Mary right in front of us, but it's something that will come with with just turning it over to Mary through the consecration. The last part of that question, Mary Beth says, does this change it how you look at what belongs to you or what you do with your belongings? And that that made me think of a couple things. First of all, don't we just like a little two-year-old who's walking around all the time saying, mine, 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 don't we do that as adults too? You know, my stuff, my books, my car, mine, mine. You know, like we we cling to these earthly things. Many of us spend our whole life, you know, uh, what's that old saying, the one who dies with the most toys wins, trying to, to gather all these things in. And Mary really contrasts that for us because, She's not clinging to any kind of things, but she's clinging to us, that we belong to her. She has had that grace of detachment from early things, from belongings, from things themselves, and is clinging to us as her children. And and that's such a great reflection for me about detachment because, you know, there's there's some things I do really well with getting rid of and decluttering and, and letting go of, and then there's some things that... Uh, I'm not quite the hoarder state, but there's some things I don't want to let go. And I don't know if it's just enhanced spiritual wisdom or I'm just getting old, but I just (laughs) don't want more things. It's just too much. So detachment, I think, is a natural process of aging. 
that's an internal battle in me all the time. It's like, I want it, but I don't need it, but I want it. (laughs) What I see in here, too, is is it's interesting that Mary is addressing that all of these children belong to her. She's also giving us ownership in that as well. I see it as as a full communion with the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. that we are called to do this together with her, to unite with her in this battle. She's calling us to participate. I I like that word, participate. And that Mm -hmm. is what the communion of saints is all about. What a family. What a family to be part Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Question number four. John and Magdalene follow Jesus to Calvary out of personal love for the Savior. However, also motivating them is their love for his mother, who is suffering as well, though much more than they. It is Mary who is by far the strongest of the three. What are her strengths interiorly and exteriorly, mentally and spiritually? Well, one of the things I notice in the scripture when you get to John chapter 19, is it says that Mary is standing at the foot of the cross. I think I would be prostrate in the gro- in the groveling in the gravel. Yes. I would be on yes. my face, and, and she has the strength to stand. So one of the things there right away is we know that she's physically strong, interiorly and mentally and spiritually strong. When you think about how long three hours is, to be with someone who is dying. A minute seems like an eternity. So Mm -hmm. to be there for three hours and not just dying like serenely in a hospital bed, but being tortured and cruelly beaten, crown of thorns, crucified with nails through his flesh. And and the way that one dies through crucifixion is actually your lungs fill with fluid. So you're actually suffocating to death. Um, I, I can't imagine any more cruel death, and she's there with her, with her son, and she gives him strength by her own strength. And how was it that Mary was that strong? Well, we know that she was conceived without sin, that she never had all of the sins and sufferings in her life that we do, and that gave her a strength, that gave her a clarity, that gave her the fortitude to stay there and be with her son, supporting St. John and Mary Magdalene as they were there too. And I love how that fulfills the prophecy that Simeon gave when Jesus was just a a little baby. He said to Mary, a sword will pierce your heart. And Jesus' heart was literally pierced with the sword. But Mary, as she stood there as as his mother, what mother doesn't suffer more or as much as her child seeing them in pain? And that wasn't just 2,000 years ago, because we get that opportunity every single day to be like John and Magdalene, and motivated also for Mary, that we get to enter into the suffering of another. And what I mean by that is, you know, big, little, just it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but just when someone's going through something difficult is oftentimes we continue down our own day, our own path. But when you willingly stop, and you don't need to get involved in the sense that you don't need to take on that person's um, suffering. You don't have to solve it. No. You don't have to fix it. But you, you bring it in because you're willing to open up your day to what that person, and that may mean I didn't get to go to the grocery store, I didn't get to do X, Y, and Z that might have been on my list, 
And when you enter into the suffering of another, the graces that you see, not only from the relationship, because when people have done it for me and they didn't even know me, it has transformed how I look at others that I might not even know that well, that I know I have something that they may need, that I can do something. I may not be able to find the words, but I can do something for them. One of the things I'd like to point out, too, with this, Mary Beth, is that her, her interior strength came from her continual prayer life. I think one of the lines we read in Scripture about Our Lady is she pondered these things in her heart. She did not understand everything immediately. When the angel Gabriel came to her and asked her to be the mother of Jesus, she didn't know all that that would mean. She contemplated it. When Herod set out to uh, martyr all the, the holy innocents and Joseph and Mary had to leave their, their town and their family and go to Egypt, she didn't understand why that was happening necessarily or what it all would entail. And yet, she, as she waited upon the Lord, she grew stronger. And she did that through her prayer life and pondering. And that's one of the great things this retreat does for us. Each day we're asked to take this prayer into our day and ponder it. Read the two short pages a day, ponder throughout the day. But and all, don't you also think that most importantly, because she was bound to the Holy Spirit, and you know, John. I was just going to say that she kind of had a special spouse. You know, Pentecost hadn't happened yet. That's right. And uh-huh. so, of course, there is that when you bind yourself to the Holy Spirit, and uh-huh. that's available to us. We, you know, if you're baptized and been confirmed, that, that's available. That power is available to us. Her spouse, the Divine Immaculate Conception. Yes, we learned that. So that, that helps. Colby. That helps a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so we take this prayer into our day to ponder. Come, Holy Spirit, living in Mary, bring me face to face with the love in the heart of Jesus crucified. Amen. Amen. That's going to wrap up our discussion questions here on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. After the break, we are going to get back into the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort and rehash the discussion questions while listening to the prayers that he prays sung by some modern-day Catholic artists. In the meantime, here's Danielle Rose. It's called Love Until It Hurts from her CD entitled I thirst. You can get her music online at daniellerose.com.
Next on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses, we are going to look at the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort, the spiritual exercises that he actually went through as he prepared for consecration to Jesus through Mary. He began with a reading from The Imitation of Christ, Book 1, Chapter 24, of Judgment and the Punishment of Sinners, followed by a reading from The Holy Gospel According to Luke, Chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It is the story of the crafty steward. You can find both of these readings along with the next litany, which is the litany of the Holy Spirit or the litany of the Holy Ghost at fisheaters.com. Next up, once again today, we, we pray the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Fortunately for us, Donna Corey Gibson did sing this song and it's called Mother. While we listen to the song, let's think about the first two questions from Carol R. Younger's retreat companion that goes with Father Gately's book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. Question number one, pay attention to Mary's appearance and actions in the visions. With Mary's help, what does Teresa see? What does she hear? How does Mary comfort her? How does she support her? Is there significance to Mary holding Teresa's right arm? And number two, why does Mary say fear not to Mother Teresa? Would this simple two-word sentence be comforting to you? Coming from Mary, why or why not? What could she say to you to help allay your fears?
Now let's ponder questions three and four as we listen to Mary and Grace. You can find Mary and Grace's music at lovegoodmusic.com. Mary says the crowd that Mother Teresa sees belongs to her. She says, they are mine. Bring them to Jesus. What does this tell us about Mary's view of us? What does it tell us about how Mary sees what belongs to her? Does this change how you look at what belongs to you or what you do with what belongs to you? And question number four, what are Mary's strengths interiorly and exteriorly, mentally and spiritually? changing it. 
a few extra minutes here at Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. So we're going to wrap up the hour today with a song from Dee Simone. It's entitled Martyr's Crown. You can find her online at D-E-E-S-I-M-O-N-E dot com. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue our preparation for Marian consecration right here on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. My garments stay My friend